We're continuing our Lenten sermon series titled Unveiled Grace. We started on Ash Wednesday. You saw some of the words of the describers of where we are going with this sermon series. We started on Ash Wednesday. Pastor um, Zardi talked about a grace that cleanses. And then last weekend he spoke about a grace that's undeserved. And in the weeks to come we'll talk about a grace that sustains and a grace that empowers, a grace that renews and heals, a grace that comforts, a grace that restores and a grace that calls. But today, as George mentioned, we'll be talking about a grace that frees, and specifically a grace that frees us from chasing the perfectionistic tendencies in, in our personality. Some of us have a small dose of that. Some of us have a large dose of that, and we're doing our best to deal with it. Funny story about an old guy driving down the highway really fast, speeding. A police officer sees him, pulls up behind him, turns on the lights. The guy won't pull over. So the chase goes on for a little bit. Eventually, the old guy pulls over, and the cop, as you can imagine, is pretty angry, walks up to the window and says, certainly you saw me behind you with my lights on. How come you didn't pull over right away? And the old guy says, well... About 30 years ago, my wife ran off with a police officer, and I was afraid you were bringing him back, her back. So I'm not sure if the officer let that guy go free or not, but we are talking about freedom and an unveiling grace that frees. There is freedom in Christ. Scripture is clear about that, maybe most clear from Galatians 5. Let's read this together out loud. Read this with me. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then. And do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Let's come together in prayer. Lord, we're grateful for this morning and uh, for your word. What a celebration of grace that the, the word of God is to us today and all days. We handle it carefully but with great joy. And this morning we open it. We ask that you guide us and direct us. Lots of people here this morning wrestle with this. They're exhausted from trying to be better, trying to do it perfectly. And your word is clear that we ought to just relax and let you be our perfection. Speak to us clearly this morning. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. My Lord, my rock, and my redeemer, we pray this for Christ's sake. Amen. So in your outline this morning, instead of kind of using Roman numerals or regular numerals, we'll use an acronym. We'll use the word RELAX, R-E-A-R-E-L-A-X, R-E-L-A-X. And the R in RELAX stands for the idea that we should realize that no one's perfect. No one's perfect. Psalm 119 from the Amplified Bible, I have seen that all human perfection has its limits, no matter how grand and perfect and noble. What society tells us is perfect is not. What uh, popular opinion might tell us is perfect is not. What you might be seeing on social media as being held up as perfect is not. God is perfect. God's holy word is perfect. The finished work of the cross that Jesus did for, for us was a perfect work, good enough, to draw us, good enough to draw us into a Christian family. And that last part about Jesus' work being perfect is good for us because we're reminded in Ecclesiastes 7 that there is no one on earth who is righteous, no one who does what is right and never sins. Jesus is our perfection, but the R in our acronym RELAX reminds us that we should realize that no one is perfect. A great quote from a Christian writer named Martin Lloyd-Jones, kind of long but very useful, I think. He says, I never cease to be grateful to the disciples I'm grateful for the record of every mistake they've ever made and for every blunder they ever committed because I see myself in them. 
how grateful we should be to God that we have these scriptures, how grateful to him that has not merely given us the gospel and left it at that, how wonderful it is that we can read accounts like this and see ourselves depicted in them, and how grateful we should be to God that it is a divinely inspired word which speaks the truth and shows and pictures every human frailty. If you've been striving for perfectionism and and um, it is tiring you out. Find freedom in Christ. If you think the way your home looks or your personal looks or the way your children behave, your image uh, needs to be perfect, stop striving. Stop knocking yourself out and abide in the perfect one, Jesus, and enjoy that kind of freedom. The E in our acronym, RELAX, reminds us that we ought to enjoy God's unconditional love. Enjoy God's unconditional love. 1 John 3, 1, see what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God, and so we are. Pastor Zardi last week talked about the unconditionalness of love, the unconditionalness of grace, the fact that it's given freely by God to those who don't deserve it. And that's really good because I don't deserve it, and you don't deserve it, but because of his love, he grants it anyway. And really, a love that is given with conditions isn't love at all. It's kind of an odd, um, ego-driven relationship, where as long as I'm pleased with you, or you're doing something for me, or it's all about the pleasure I get from you, yes, I'll extend love to you then, but as soon as that turns off, I think I might be done with you. You might remember the name William Bennett. He was the director, uh, actually the um, secretary of education um, a couple years ago. Christian guy, wrote a book called The Book of Virtues. Tells an interesting story about attending a wedding where the vows were kind of switched out. We're used to unconditional love kind of vows, right? I'll love you through thick and thin, through health and sickness, uh, through lots of money and no money. I will continue to love you. Well, he was at a wedding where the vows were kind of switched out. And I don't know the exact words that were used, but obviously they were conditional kind of words. You know, I will love you as long as you please me. I'm sure they didn't say that at a wedding, but something where it was kind of like, kind of flaky, like this doesn't seem like a total commitment of unconditional love. So here's what he says in the book. Don't know if he really did this, but he said he took home with him the gift that he had brought to give to the couple and later sent one that he thought was more appropriate. He sent a package of uh, paper plates because he figured the package of plates would last about as long as the wedding would. Let me read to you from the book of John, the 21st chapter. You might be familiar with this account. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him a third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. So what's going on there? What's this strange three times asked situation between Jesus and Simon Peter? Well, we understand it that it's Jesus extending unconditional love. If we remember the story of Peter, denied Jesus three times at the crucifixion, right? Three times he said, I don't know the man. Get away from me. But unconditional love says that Peter, even though you did that to me, I will extend love to you. I will extend grace to you. Unconditional love. Enjoy God's unconditional love. The L in our acronym RELAX reminds us that we ought to let God handle all things. 
The idea of surrender is real common in Christian thought and certainly in Scripture because at the root of perfectionism is the desire to be in control. Let me say that again. If you wrestle with perfectionism, i got to hit you a little bit hard here. At the root of that is the desire to be in control. And if you want to be in control, then we can easily say that you're playing God. And if we can say that, we need to start using words like idolatry. Like, I want to be God in my life. I want to be the one in control. I'm going to make these things perfect. Instead, let God handle all things. God wants to handle all things, the good in our life and the lousy. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. If you've become anxious, if you're exhausted over your pursuit of perfection, cast all that on God because he promises that he cares for you. There's great freedom in letting go of everything and letting God have control. I'll say that again. There's great freedom in letting go of everything and letting God have control. I just saw this on social media. I wasn't looking for anything in particular, but it really uh, struck where we're going today. You are afraid uh, of surrender because you don't want to lose control. But you never had control. All you had was anxiety. I think that speaks to me this morning. I hope it speaks to you. Christian writer William Temple says this about submission. He says, we ought to submit all to God. In it, we will find the quickening of our conscience by his holiness, the nourishment of, his, of our mind in his truth, we'll find the purifying of our imagination by his beauty, we'll find the opening of our hearts by his love, and the surrender of our will to his purpose. The Apostle Paul learned contentment as he surrendered all to God. And we know in Philippians, he writes, I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I've given my, God, my life over to God, and in it I have learned contentment. And we circle the word learned because Paul is telling us it's not something that comes natural to him, and we ought to understand it's not something that comes natural for us either. By nature, we are not content people, but God's grace frees us to be content and to enjoy each moment despite the imperfections of life. Well, we've been through R-E-L. Let's see what A stands for. A reminds us that we ought to act in faith and not fear. And this is the real application point. Um, this beautiful text from Micah, Pastor Zardi used it last week. It was flashing on the screen as you walked in before the service this morning. This is the Old Testament prophet really relaying to us here in 2020 in North Royalton the beauty of God's love. He writes, Who is a God like you? who pardons sin and forgives the transgression of the remnant of his inheritance. God, you do not stay angry forever, but delight to show mercy. You will again have compassion on us. You will tread our sins underfoot and hurl all our iniquities into the depths of the sea. God's grace saves us and frees us from trying to be good or achieving enough to get into heaven. What an interesting phrase that George used in our introduction. It's one you're familiar with. If you want to do something right, do it yourself. I grew up hearing that. Maybe you did too. And I suppose in some areas in the flesh, in worldly situations, that could hold some truth. But certainly not when it comes to our relationship with God. You know, for us to say, if I want to be right with God, I've got to do it myself, is about the most unbiblical thing we could say. We don't have the ability to earn perfection, to earn righteousness, to earn the right to stand before a holy God. But Jesus does. You know, it's a legal term and it's an accounting term, a forensic term, when we talk about the great trade-off that took place at the cross. Um, the accounting term speaks of um, two ledgers, right? Like if you're an accountant, you have our ledger and Jesus's ledger. Here's our life and Jesus's. 
and we get to switch the account. All the beauty and perfection that Jesus lived out, we get in our account, and all the sin and failure that we lived goes to Jesus' account. Or in forensic legal terms, we are not guilty of the sins that we have committed because we have Jesus' life on us. We are folded into him. The Bible says we abide in him and he abides in us. And from that faith, that relationship that Jesus earned for us, we live out our lives. So this is a tricky thing to talk about freedom in Christ, right? Because we're not up here saying, go do anything. Go jump into the darkness. Go do things that offend God. Clearly that's not good for us and doesn't glorify God. So we're not free to do that. So how then should we operate? Uh, You said I was free, but you said not do those things. How can those things match up? We are free because we have a relationship with God and we live in him and he guides and directs us, renews our minds so the decisions we make are really his. So we are free to go do that or free to rest here. There is freedom in Christ as long as there is faith, as long as there is a relationship. And that relationship comes through Christ because of what's about to be celebrated, if we could say that about Good Friday, that Jesus gave up his life in your place and my place as a payment for our sins. Whoever receives that and believes and repents of their sin and turns away and confesses, has that faith, has that relationship now, and as I said earlier, our accounts are switched, and so we are redeemed, we are saved, we have faith, we have relationships, so that frees us to live the life that God has called us to live. In this season of Lent, we especially think those thoughts. We especially think about self-examination and where, I'm, where am I in my relationship with God and, and what sins have I been hanging on to and, and what am I confessing and how am I repenting and turning away from our sin. Now, this is something we do throughout the entire church year, but especially in a time of Lent. And on Ash Wednesday, we started this process. Uh, on both your right and your left, you see these boards with these scrolled up, twisted up pieces of paper. And we started to invite people to come up and write sins on the pieces of paper that are provided, um, the sins that you're giving up, the ones you're confessing, the ones you're repenting of. And if you want to do that, we invite you to do that. We'll leave these up for the entire season of Lent, and I suppose by Easter weekend, these things will be pretty full. So come up and write a sin or sins that you're getting rid of, that you're confessing, that you're repenting of, on the paper and roll it up and and put it in one of those boards and let, let God have it. I asked this question yesterday. I didn't get quite the uh, responses I wanted, and that's okay. Maybe we'll have funnier ones today. What's the worst job? I want to hear the worst job that anyone has ever had. I've had some bad jobs, but nothing worth mentioning here. Really bad job. Anybody? Shoveling horse manure. Shoveling horse manure. I don't know where that came from. Randy? Okay. That that, that (laughs) begins and ends there. (laughs) Pretty bad job. So there's a guy in the New Testament named Ananias. Now, this is a a name that appears a couple times, so there's a couple of them. In Acts 9, a man named Ananias is given, at least in his opinion, the worst job ever. So we need to back up a little bit. There's a, a guy named Saul who's a persecutor of the Christians. He gets letters of authority from the high priests to find Christians, to find followers of Jesus and grab them and throw them into jail and maybe even have them killed. Well, we know on the, on the journey to Damascus, Saul is knocked down by Jesus, literally knocked to the ground. And Jesus says, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And there's a great exchange where Saul becomes Paul, becomes a believer in Jesus, and the Holy Spirit is pressed on him, and he becomes one of the greatest apostles ever. Well, he's struck, in, uh, struck to the ground by Jesus, but his, his sight is also taken. He's blinded. But the Lord gives instructions to him and his friends to go to this house in Damascus, the house of Judas. Not that Judas, a different guy named Judas. It's on a place called Straight Street. 
Well, at the same time, the Lord's talking to this man, Ananias. And the Lord says to Ananias, go to Judas's house on State Street and bless this man named Paul. Well, Ananias sees this as the worst job opportunity ever, the worst job description, because he's a Christian, and he knows this guy, Paul Saul, is a persecutor of Christians. At very best, Ananias thinks, I'll be thrown into prison, and there's a good chance I'll lose my life too. And here's how the next exchange takes place in Acts 9. Lord Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm that he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. He has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to all the people of Israel. And Ananias did. He didn't act in fear he acted in faith. There were circumstances that said, Ananias, be fearful. This is dangerous. But the Lord came with his truth and said, don't be fearful. Be faithful. Live out in freedom the faith that I've given you and the calling I've put on your life to go do this job. What appeared to be the worst job description was actually the best gospel opportunity ever. Ananias was called to Damascus, and with his hands and words, he became the visible gospel to this man Paul. He acted in faith, not fear. And that's our calling this morning. And there's great freedom in that. Colossians 2, 6. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him. Our faith is not a one-time event. You came to faith, and now the rest is just kind of turned off. It's a daily living in faith. And once we live in that faith daily, fear is lifted from us, and we are free to live the calling that God has on our life. Remember your baptism, remember it today, remember it tomorrow, remember it every day. It's valid all those days. Remember the grace that God gave you in the redemption that you experienced in that moment of salvation. That is still active and alive today, redeeming you, making you the per person that God wants you to be. The common grace that we speak of, the air that you're breathing right now, the thoughts that you're having, your friendships, the food that you'll enjoy later, the sunshine that's pouring down on us today. These are common graces. These are gifts from God because he is a gracious God. So R-E-L, uh, uh, where am I in my acronym? I'm lost, so, oh, it's the X. That's why, because it's not really an X. Words don't start with X, not too many. So we had to go with exchange perfectionism for God's peace. Would you do that this week, this Lenten season? Would you exchange your perfectionism for God's peace? Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Jesus here makes us an offer that we can't afford to refuse. God knows there's no chance for us to be perfect on our own, so he graciously sent Jesus to be our perfection. And so now we enjoy peace, and we know that because of Jesus' perfect sacrifice, we are perfect in his sight through the faith that he gives us. And that's good and that's important because, again, in Romans 3, we are reminded all have sinned. There is no one that is perfect. All have fallen short of the glory of God and are justified freely, we're talking about freedom, by his grace, this unveiled grace, through the redemption that came through Christ Jesus. We are all sinners, but we don't have to worry because we have God's grace in Christ that frees us from all of our guilt. 
Song that goes back a couple years, 1980, the writer's name is Michael Kelly Blanchard, just a couple of the lyrics. Be ye glad, be ye glad, every debt that you ever had has been paid in full by the grace of the Lord. There's great gladness in Christianity because every debt that we ever had that we owed God because of our sinfulness has been paid in full by the grace, the unveiled grace of the Lord. I think if we really believe that, if we really walk in that peace, we know freedom and we certainly know the freedom to strive after perfectionism. So a couple of next steps to think about this week as we're walking through our Lenten journey. Pray about these things. These are at the bottom of your worship folder. Follow God's lead by taking a deep breath and pausing and relaxing and letting God be God. Number two, think about what it means to be the recipient of unconditional love. What a profound thought that is. Sit on a bench somewhere and think about that, that God pours out love on you regardless of how strong you are, how good you are, what you've done that day. Number three, surrender your perfectionism and live in his peace. Let's come together in prayer. Father, thank you that I don't have to be perfect, that Jesus is my perfection. In John 10, we read about abiding in Jesus and he abiding in us, living in him, him living in us. Let that happen um, in a mysterious, divine way. Send your Holy Spirit to guide us and deliver us and deliver um, a heavenly peace that we can't know on our own in the flesh on earth. And in this Lenten season, again, we focus specifically on introspection and self-examination. Where am I in my walk with the Lord? What sins am I holding on to? Where is my fear? What sins do I need to confess and repent of and understand that I am forgiven? So move on our congregation that way, Lord, in this season. Thank you for freedom, Lord. We walk in that freedom today and in all days. In Jesus' name, amen.